I'm going to introduce our guest, and he is going to be not only doing our service today, but he is also going to be doing um, our program at one o'clock. And I'm going to read it so that I don't um all over it. Our guest speaker and musician this morning is Greg Tamblin, NCW, no credentials, whatever. <laughs> Greg Tamblin combines a lifetime of interest in consciousness and wellness with an irreverent sense of humor. His songs and stories range from deeply spiritual to seriously funny, including self-employment made harder by difficult boss <laughs> and Jesus was a bachelor. Many of Greg's songs have won awards, including a recent Lifetime Achievement Award at the Empower Music Awards, the Grammys of Positive Music. We'll get to hear some of these award-winning songs in his talk and also later in his comedy concert. So the funniest thing is not going to just be that Bill's going to eat cheese. So. <laughs> Greg performs internationally at, for a wide variety of groups interested in wellness. He has written and recorded seven CDs, plus a book of true stories that open the heart and tickle the funny bone. He is also the creator of the popular joke game, Milk Snort, <laughs> which I believe I am purchasing for my friends for Christmas, just seeing the box, seeing, seeing the book. Uh, this is a game that lets everyone experience the joy of telling really funny jokes. They are all available here today on the table that is in this little foyer by the social hall. Uh, Greg's ongoing mission in life is saving the world from whiny victim love songs, <laughs> which I sing quite often. And here he is, Greg Tamblin. <laughs> Greg is going to lead us in prayer, and then you got the stage. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much, Greg. So, yeah, let's just take a nice big breath and maybe close our eyes if that feels good. And give thanks for the, the joy and the wonder and the blessings of our existence, the miracle of existence, the fact that we're here. We thank you, God, for this gift of life. We ask that we, as we go through our day-to-day, -day, we do your work and not our work that we fill ourselves with as much good stuff as possible and we give that away to everyone we meet. We ask for peace in parts of the world where there is no peace. We ask for peace. We pray for peace and comfort for the afflicted. And once again, thank you for this beautiful, beautiful day. Amen. So it's so, so good to be here after two years of Zooming into people's <laughs> churches and, and meetings. It's so fun to actually be out in the world again. So I want to thank everybody for making me feel welcome. Perry back there on sound, and of course Kay and Kent and uh, Jordan 
and especially Jay Stevenson for hosting me and driving me all around Texas. Thank you, Jay. And of course, Melinda, my dear, dear longtime friend, Melinda, for inviting me to come be with you all. So I'm really, really, really happy about it all. And I want to share some thoughts with you today about mystery, about big questions that we might never, ever get answers to, and what I feel is the most helpful, healthiest attitude to have about these mysteries or questions. So. I like to joke about this NCW degree, no credentials whatsoever. Anybody else have that one? Yeah, some of us. But the truth is, I actually escaped from college with a real degree, a BS. In a BS, that's true, in geology. Yeah, wanted to be a rock star. I was fascinated by the big mysteries that geology studies. You know, how old is this universe? How did this, this solar system come together out of all these clouds of gas and dust? And when did that happen? And if, if that all happened at once, how come all the planets are so different? And how did this planet change over, over time? And, and how is it that three and a half billion years ago, seemingly out of inorganic matter, somehow life began, organic matter. And after three and a half billion years and, and quadrillions of trillions of evolutionary possibilities, how is it that at this little micro moment in geologic time, we get to be the dominant species? And how do all these geologic processes that go on every day all over the world affect our experience of existence? I'm still fascinated by all this. I read about it all the time. But it wasn't long after college that I realized I was even more interested in what I think of uh, as uh, bigger mysteries. Like, why is there something instead of nothing? What is God? If God is real, what is God really like? What is consciousness? This amazing ability we have to self-reflect and plan and dream and make stuff up. What is death? And what happens to consciousness after death? What is love? What are women really thinking? <laughs> Big mysteries. So I thought we could have some fun with a couple of these this morning, and if we're going to do that, the logical place to start is God, because God is really kind of the big mystery. And if we accept the fact that there is a God, could be a God, then the next question is, well, what is God like? A lot, a lot of people have tried to tell us. I'm sure you've noticed down through history, a lot of people have tried to tell us what God is like. What I find interesting is, come on in. What I find interesting is that my concept of God has changed a lot over 40 years. Anybody relate to that? Anybody else? What you think about God is different than it was? Almost everybody? Which is funny to me because I don't think God's changed much in 40 years. <laughs> so that seemed like a good idea for a song. 
Now, you know that I'm a science guy, and every once in a while I try to get some science into the songs, sneak it in there. So in the last part of this song, we're going to bring in some physics. Now, I had trouble in, in college with physics, because when I signed up, I thought it said psychics. wasn't what I expected. There's a new theory in physics you've heard of. It's called string theory. You've probably heard that term. So when we get to the part of this song that is about strings, you'll know it's physics. So this song is called A Brief History of God, or G-String Theory. In the beginning, there was lots of competition. Goddesses and gods of every disposition, from merciful to mean, from laid back to hyper, and little baby gods that flew around in diapers. Animals, pranksters, destroyers, creators, flute players, loot players, nymphs, and satyrs. So many gods, it was hard to keep them sorted. God had multiple personality disorder. Well, keeping track of all these gods was no fun. So finally, some people said, let's cut it down to one. But the one god was angry, always finding fault. There was banishment and floods and pillars of salt. Well, why was God traumatized at an early age by standing too close to the Big Bang? Was it nature or nurture or Satan's little goblins? God had anger management problems. Well, God had other issues that messed with serenity, like this long-term question of sexual identity, the feminine divine or the male autonomous. God was so confused. Am I androgynous? Then on top of that, what was challenging the most was trying to figure out what the heck's the Holy Ghost. And God needed time off and checked into a clinic. And poor old God was becoming schizophrenic. While in for treatment, God sent some folks to teach us, like Krishna and Buddha, Muhammad and Jesus, on some things they agree, on other things they don't. And if you choose the wrong one, some say your soul is toast. Now everybody's praying by all these different rules. Muslims five times a day, Buddhists quite a few. Hindus, Jews, and Christians whenever there's a need. And Unitarians would rather plant a tree. Well, God's come a long way from that early dysfunction, and now science has brought us to this beautiful junction. The key to the theory is that every single thing is made up entirely of vibrating strings. Well, this is what musicians have known all along. The universe is really one big song. And there you have it, friends. That's the story so far. We're all just musical strings in God's big guitar. 
things. It's a happy thought, isn't it? We're always vibrating. We never stop. We're always vibrating. So the trick is to stay in tune. Relationships. Relationships are a lot about staying in tune with each other. Well, a lot of people have told us that God is love. And we like that answer. We like that answer. What feels better than love? What's more comforting than love? Again, as an observer, it's interesting to me because of the word love. We have this one word love for such a wide, wide range of emotional experiences. You know how the Eskimos, they say the Eskimos have 50-something words for snow, different kinds of snow. We have this one word, love, for all these different kinds of things, like, like you know, we have divine love, earthly love, motherly love, brotherly love, uh, unconditional love, unrequited love, physical love, mystical love, faded love, jaded love, uh, puppy love, love of chocolate chip cookies. And really, the biggest of all, probably, in terms of mystery, is romantic love. You know, I confess it's still puzzling to me, romantic love. Why is it that we have so much chemistry and compassion with one person? Uh, not compassion, chemistry and, and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Passion. Um, well, I wasn't even looking for passion. Chemistry and, and uh, um, attraction for one person, and then none whatsoever for someone else who's you know, equally attractive, equally desirable. There's just no, no chemistry there. I find that amazing. And, and how is it that sometimes that love is so strong and so powerful for a certain amount of time, but then maybe dissipates, disappears? So how about this, love at first sight? Anybody uh, experience love at first sight? Don't be shy, come on. Anybody believe in it that hasn't experienced it? Okay, so maybe half of us love at first sight. Well, it's happened to me a lot. <laughs> Usually goes something like this. A man is riding on a train. He's heading south, it starts to rain. He sings a soft and sad refrain. Thinks he'll never love again. On the other track, a train is heading north through the rain. A woman looks out her window pane. Her life has been a lonely game. The two trains pass. They're moving fast. Faces flicker past for half a beat. Their two eyes meet, and instantly they both can see that they were meant to be. <laughs> yes, it happened just like that. It hit them like a thunderclap. Somehow they had seen the answer to their dreams passing on the other track. So at the next stop, he gets off. A love like that must not be lost. He takes the next train heading north. Does not know she's done the same. So they pass again for half a beat. 
their two eyes meet, and instantly they both can see they were not meant to be. <laughs> well, she knew someday it would have to end. She wonders if they'll still be friends. All the plans he made all begin to fade as she disappears around the bend. He will never be the same. Deep in his heart, she will remain. He looks out through the falling rain. He thinks he'll never love again. I think he's going to love again. And again, and again, and again, and again. I thank you. <laughs> Maybe you've had a relationship like that. Brief. Brief. So, Linda Berry, the cartoonist, said love, romantic love is an exploding cigar we willingly smoke. <laughs> John Bradshaw, you remember John Bradshaw, said that falling in love is, in reality, a high-octane endocrine hormone cocktail. And he's right. He's right. Science can measure this now. The hormonal changes that, that occur when we, quote unquote, fall in love are very distinctive, very powerful, very measurable, very big. And, and so that it really is something that affects us deeply. And we also know that it typically lasts from 6 to 18 months, the hormone cocktail, 6 to 18 months. So that means if the relationship is going to last beyond that period, it has to be based on something other than the hormone cocktail, something deeper, more profound, maybe even sacred, right? So I feel like we should at least have two words for love. You know, the Greeks had two or three or maybe four different kinds of love words, but they had eros for romantic love, and they had agape for the more divine, brotherly kind of love. And that way, if we had those two words, when we wanted to tell somebody we loved them, but we didn't want there to be any confusion about what was going to happen, we could say, I agape you. <laughs> and there would be no expectations, you know, about what's coming next. Uh, love, uh, love is a great word, though. It's a word I use with music. I love music. Can't imagine my life without music. I love this guitar. Before I loved this guitar, I loved a different guitar. <laughs> yeah, true. Before I had this guitar, I had this, this uh, very much larger guitar, and it was made out of maple. So it had a very distinctive blonde finish. It was quite striking, and I'd had it for years and years and years, and been, you know, all around the country with it, lots of lots of uh, experiences. So I was very, very fond of that guitar. We grow very attached to our instruments. But as much as I love that guitar, I started having this idea that I wanted a different guitar. I wanted one that finger picked a little more easily and, and sounded a little differently, and maybe better electronics. Anyway, I, I wanted a different guitar, and the more I thought about it, the more I wanted it. And the more I wanted it, as time went on, the, the more I wanted it. And 
I wasn't doing anything about it. I was just feeling this desire build, but the thing is I hate shopping for guitars uh, for a couple reasons. One, I'm picky. It's hard for me to find one I like. It takes forever. And secondly, most guitar stores are staffed by what we could call young rock musicians. And I don't mean to knock young rock musicians. I used to be one. But tell me if in your, two, in your mind, these two things go together. Young rock musicians, great customer service. <laughs> not always, not always. So I'm putting it off, I'm just putting it off until fate intervenes in the Honolulu airport in the form of this woman I will affectionately call Attila the gate agent. Now, to this day, I don't know what Attila's deal was, you know, if she was on a power trip or just had a bad lunch or whatever, but she saw me walking up to the gate counter with my guitar over my shoulder in a soft case, what we call a gig bag, because it's nice and light and you can fit it overhead in the plane or you can hang it in the closet. And this is how I've been traveling with this guitar for, for years and years and years. Anyway, I'm walking up to the gate counter. She sees me. I get about 15 feet away from her, and she looks up. She sees me, and she says, hey, that is not going on the plane with you, and turns away. And I thought, what? Well, what? That, what's that about? That's crazy. And, and so I kind of went off to the side, and I thought about it, and I... I thought, you know what? She doesn't understand that I'm a professional musician. <laughs> she just needs to know that. So I go back up to the counter. I give her a big smile. <clears throat> I said, hey, you know what? I'm a professional musician. I have an expensive guitar here, and I got to get to San Francisco for this concert. And she interrupts me. And she says, no, no, no. I don't think you heard me. That is not going on the plane with you. And she walks off. So now I'm concerned because, you know, I got to get the guitar on the plane. And I think about it and I, I decide she's got to be worried about the load. So I go back up, I give her a big smile. I said, hey, what, you know, you're probably worried about the load. How about this? How about, we'll let everybody get on the plane. I'll get on last. We'll see if there's room. Because I knew there'd be room. It was one of those giant planes. She looks at me and she says, I've already told you twice. That is not going on the plane with you. So you have to decide what you're going to do. Now stop bothering me and, you know, figure it out. And she walks off. So now I'm worried. The plane is boarding. I have to get the guitar on the plane. So I just resort to begging. I go up to her and I just start pleading. I said, you know, come on. Can we talk to a flight attendant? Can we, can we just see? Can we just give it a shot? There's got to be a way. Can we just try? stone-faced, ice-cold, she says, you have two choices. You can leave it here, or you can check it. It's not going with you. I could tell she meant it. So I said, okay, well, here it is. I'm going to give it to you. Please ask the baggage guys to put it somewhere safe, because it could get hurt so easily. Off she goes, without a word. And I get on the plane. It turns out I'm sitting in the bulkhead seat, the front row of coach. And across from me is the jump seat where the flight attendant sits during takeoff. So there's a flight attendant sitting there. We're taking a long time to taxi. So she and I start talking. And I end up telling her the whole story of Attila. And to her credit, she listens. 
to the whole thing, and she's, she's appalled. She can't believe it. So when I finish, she says, you know what? I just have to apologize for our airline. This is wrong. This should never have happened. We're not all like this. And, and plus, we try to accommodate musical instruments. We know how expensive they are and how important they are to you. And, and really, the, the, there's plenty of room on the plane. The closets are empty. There's no way this should have happened. It doesn't normally happen. Please accept my apology for our airline and don't hold it against us. And then she got up to go to work. And I felt better. And I thought that was the end of it. But I guess she told all the other flight attendants because when it was my turn to get off the plane in San Francisco, all seven of them were lined up there by the door and I'm walking by them and they said, wait, 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 here's your guitar. They brought it up. And I said, wow, great, that's so nice. And then I thought, wait a minute. And we unzipped it and, and splinters. You know, it's just, it was just shattered. <laughs> it, was, it was like the baggage guys thought they were Pete Townsend at the end of a Who concert, you know, just smashing everything. So I felt bad. They felt bad. Three of them walked me down to baggage service and they said, look, here's what happened. Here's our employee names and numbers and phone numbers and, and, and we think this guy got a bad deal and you need to make it right and we'll vouch for him. And then they left because it was midnight and they had to go to work the next day. So, so here I am in the bowels of the San Francisco airport. It's midnight. There's nobody around anywhere except this girl across the counter who looks about 12. <laughs> and she looks up at me with a sweet face and she says, I can't help you. I'm only 18. I work here, but I don't really have any authority. If you want to come back at 9 tomorrow morning, the manager will be here. And you can talk to her. But I got to tell you, we have a company policy. It's very firm. We never, ever compensate for musical instruments. We don't do it. You need to know that if you decide to come back. We just don't do it. I could tell there was no point in extending that conversation. So I went to where I was spending the night. And you know, you know when you're really upset how it can be hard to sleep? My feelings for Attila were not something I could share with you outside of maybe group therapy. And I couldn't sleep. I was so upset. I got up in the morning exhausted from all that anger, from not sleeping. I'm driving out to the airport. I felt horrible. I just felt awful. And finally, I just started praying. I just said, God, you know what? I hate feeling like this. Please just help me be calm and I'll let everything else go. Whatever happens is fine. I'm, I'm letting it go. If you can just please help me be calm. And it worked. By the time I got to the airport, I was calm. I went in, the manager was there. We sat down, I told her the whole story. I had everybody's names and numbers. She listened to the whole thing and then she shook her head and just said, wait a minute, and left. And finally, she came back with this other manager, this higher manager, and they both sat down, these two ladies. And they looked at me and they said, <laughs> Well, we have a company policy, we don't compensate for musical instruments. And I said, I know, I heard that. And they said, well, we've talked about it. We think we need to buy you a new guitar. I said, really? And they said, yeah, just find one you like, we'll pay for it. So I got out of there before they could say anything else. And I asked my musician friends in San Francisco, I said, where do I get a new guitar? And they said, really, there's only one place. There's really only one great place, and that's the Haight-Ashbury Music Center. You really need to go there. 
I said, great. So off I go to Haight-Ashbury. Now, I don't know if any of you have been there lately, but I'm from Kansas. <laughs> and Haight-Ashbury is like this little corner of the twilight zone. <laughs> you see the, the past and the present and the future all there together, mixed up. It's on the sidewalk. It's Every kind of personal preference you can imagine is right there on the sidewalk, and you see it, it's like a smorgasbord for the senses because you smell it. You know, I'm walking around Haight-Ashbury trying to find this store, getting a little high in the process, and, and finally I find the store, and it turns out to be the best guitar store I've ever been in. They have great guitars, they have lots of them, they have fabulous salespeople, and for two days they just bring me guitars and let me play them. Tell me a little bit about them, anything, any questions I have. And then they just leave me alone. They let me play these guitars. And after a day and a half, they brought me this one. And as soon as I picked it up, I could tell, boy, this is different. This feels great. Fits my hands. Um, good acoustic sound. It's got uh, great electronics. I played it the rest of the day. They let me take it out of the store that night and do a concert with it. And that's when I knew this was my new guitar. Well, I love this guitar. I love it so much that I haven't missed the old one for 10 seconds. It's a way better guitar. It's more fun to play. It's easier to play. It sounds better. It's $600 more expensive than my old guitar, totally paid for by the airline. And the thing is, I owe it all to Attila, the gate agent. <laughs> you never know who's going to turn out to be an angel in your life. Sometimes they don't look like it. Sometimes it's only in retrospect that we really understand how important this connection was. And you know, when we do that, when that happens, it fills me with a sense of wonder at, at these connections. It's, at the, you know, I mean, if the mystics are right, if God is everything, and everything is God, every little vibrating string that makes up everything, if everything is God, then everything must be connected. And how could we ever understand that? It fills me with a sense of wonder, just thinking about it. And wonder is kind of the key word here, because what the best scientists and the best mystics have in common is a sense of wonder at the workings of the universe, a sense of amazement, a sense of awe at the way it all works. And what the best of those have in common, the ones that we remember and revere as our teachers, is a sense of humor, the ability to have fun with it, take it lightly. So a sense of wonder and a sense of humor are the two attitudes that I feel we need to bring, at least I need to bring, to these big mysteries, these unanswerable questions. The ability to experience awe, which Einstein said was important to do every day, and the ability to take it lightly sense of humor, and a sense of wonder. So that's two places I need to go every day. 
was a German theologian named Karl Rahner who said something cool. He said, there are two kinds of people in the world, people who need certainty and people who seek understanding. And I would just suggest to you that it's better to be a seeker of understanding for this reason. When you're sure you're right, you're stuck with what you already know. Does that make sense? When you're sure you're right, you're stuck. Learning stops. Okay, so I think that's all the mysteries we have time for this morning.